Yeah. When yeah. I did eat meat, I used to like hanger steaks until I actually saw where the hanger steak came from. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of meta meat research that's not worth doing for that reason. Well, it's not even that, it, you know, I mean, it doesn't take too much research to see where the flank and the hanger is. Right. But isn't that like the thing that like he's out of the game for a groin injury? <laughs> like, I think it's the hanger steak. Now, let me um, let me pull up the page on my laptop here. Yeah. To refer to. Oh, you mean you're going to read it just in time for the quiz? Yes. Uh, no, there's some very interesting um, diagram work that he did on here, which I, I was, um, I, I I don't think that it's like required for uh, understanding, you know, of of what's going on here. Like for audio format, I don't think it's necessary. But he did some really cool visualizations, um, you know, that are that are uh, properly worth uh, review or whatever. Um, so, step back. I remember last or last week it was when we were talking about this. Yeah. How how did you first hear about this? Oh God. So I think I'd read an article somewhere about this idea of a ladder of abstraction, and it made reference to this. And I I'm trying to remember if it was just a sort of a throwaway reference, like. By the way, really cool interactive visualizations are here. Or if it was an article that was more about the idea of abstraction. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I'm looking at the date that it was published. And I have a feeling that you and I were both working for those yeah. smarty pants in Redmond at the time. And I'm pretty sure that I shared the, and I think I may have shared the link way back, back in the day when we used to have our team phone calls and we'd have mm -hmm. all sorts of folks joining us to find out what this curious user experience thing is. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was the first time that I saw it. So it's kind of, I mean, in a way it's kind of interesting how these things just sort of come back, you know, and you, you had, in, you had pointed me to worrydream.com because it was, um, this guy, uh, Brett Victor who had created dynamicworld.org? Oh, what was it called? Uh, I think it is Dynamic World. Yes, I've got to look it up. Just scrolling back through our, our conversation. I'll find it, but then you're going to hear my Cherry MX Blues clicking away. <laughs> and dynamic. Interesting how many times we say dynamic in our Slack chat, dynamicland.org. Dynamicland, that's what it is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's like the right kind of crazy savant. Uh, that is the kind of person that I would be happy to sit in like a million lectures with or have, you know, God, have coffee with, have lunch with. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a feeling I would tangentially follow what he's saying, but unless it's laid out in a very um, clear pattern like this ladder of abstraction thing, like I think I might only uh, graze the surface of, of of the point he's trying to make. But I also feel like when, when I've had encounters with people like that, it almost feels like they are struggling to convey to mere mortals the depth of what they're, they're uh, experiencing, understanding, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, so every now and then I run into folks who are like that. And I think that they struggle, but then at, afterwards, maybe it's in retrospect after they're licking their wounds, after trying very hard to explain it to someone who doesn't have multiple PhDs and, um, you know, 
theoretical, abstract, mathematical, philosophical, something, something, mm -hmm. um, that uh, they are glad to have had the opportunity to try to explain it because I think a lot of times these brilliant ideas are worth sharing more widely. Yeah. And they, they, they think about them at a level of abstraction, no pun intended, that is, that is so extreme that, uh, you know, unless, un unless you have all the, the prerequisite uh, knowledge, you can't really understand it. This, this piece in particular is a perfect example of exactly that, because for me, the, 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 the bigger ideas that he, that he conveys, I think I understand the, uh, the examples that he gives as he builds the argument or, or climbs the ladder of abstraction, um, the initial, the initial example feels very much like total graphics and logo to me, you know, like forward yeah. 10, right? 90, you know, but by the time you get to the bottom of this, paradoxically, it is so much more granular and detailed and so much more brain matter needy <laughs> that, that, uh, I, you know, it's almost like it's, it's, it's counterintuitive that it's yeah. not as simple and as abstract, but the idea that it's generalizable, et cetera, I don't want to jump to the punchline of course, but I think that the, um, the detail in the, in the, in the visualizations that go along with it as they become more abstract is mind bending. Yes, and the amount of work behind those is, is pretty incredible. Let's mm -hmm. let's start with talking about just what it is. So, what maybe um, the idea of the ladder of ab abstraction and as it applies to the specific example that was given. So, um, the the I guess the the way to describe it, um, or the way I would describe it, is that the ladder of abstraction that uh, Brett is talking about here is is a way of of approaching problem solving uh, algorithmically that helps you start from something you understand and move one step at a time up the ladder, so to say, away from something that's concrete and an easy solvable problem for you and just make sort of the next corresponding decision to sharpen your solution for a problem iteratively. Um, you does that seem about fair? Up, yeah, you summed it up perfectly. I think that's exactly right. And I think um, the idea that you start with something concrete and you begin to abstract and abstract is something you see in any iterative uh, approach. It's not that there are any things that are inherently iterative. You do need an iterative approach to the design of the solution. So you can choose not to be iterative and try to go straight to the abstraction. And I don't know how successful those designs are. Um, yeah. But uh, and I think also if you're trying to bring a group of people along with you as you iterate so that you start with a project and they don't really understand exactly what you're trying to do, but you need to collaborate with them, that building the solution iteratively is a way to bring them along and they come to the understanding over that time through the iterations. Of course, if they don't, then you fire them at the by the time you get to the point where you can't put up with them anymore. But Right, um, which is like step two on the ladder, obviously. Totally, exactly. <laughs> controlling time, right? That would be the con controlling the time, controlling the time you're in this job. Yeah. So t talk a bit about the specific example used in the this essay, or yeah, I don't even know what you want to call it. Yeah, I don't even know. It's like a it's a web page. I'll just call it that, or the article. Perfect. Right? But it's got yeah. this. I mean, it's it's the the so the 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 prose is really nicely written, but the the uh, 
the uh, animations, the interactive animations that go alongside each one is make it, make it really come together. So it's a simple problem. How do you how do you get a car, simulate a car driving down a road? It needs to uh, sort of negotiate a mild turn in the middle of it, uh, just a sort of a zigzag left left and right turn. And uh, you know the, the, it's very simple. It's you know move forward a pixel, and if the road bends, then start to bend the car um, and move the car. And at the point where you know, and so that it's it's a very primitive simulation at that point. The car body itself is con continually facing in the seems in the same direction. Doesn't really seem to doesn't look very natural. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, and then uh, yeah, I don't know. And then yeah, so it's it's kind of like you're the one who does the programming stuff. You understand <laughs> that's that's where I check out. You know, it's yeah. Like, Enough. So we'll have to include a link to this, but I, I, I guess for the purpose of the, the listener-only experience here, imagine a bird's-eye view of a car on a road, uh, and you can give that car instructions to move forward, to turn left and move forward, or to turn right and move forward. Those are your, your three options, and there are levers you can pull in terms of how many degrees left or right it turns. But all that, like that car, every step of the way, the car will move forward some and turn some if necessary. And the idea is to come up with an algorithm that keeps that car on a road of arbitrary curvature um, as, as good as possible. And, and so the way this starts is by a very, very primitive approach to it, that if the car happens to go off the road to either side, you simply point it in the opposite direction and go that way until it's back on the road. Uh, well, really, in the, in the very first one, I think it's until it goes off the road the other direction. Yeah. And so you, you can imagine, even on a... You have a perfectly straight road with a car that's not pointed perfectly centered. It would go off to one side and then off to the other side and do sort of a uh, sawtooth sinusoidal thing to to follow that road. Um, and and so the whole purpose of this uh, approach is to start from something that's very naive but technically correct or close to technically correct, uh, and make it better and better by making better decisions about what levers you pull and how and when. Um, so the, the very first approach to this might be just that sawtooth on a straight road or sawtooth around a curved road, however you want to look at it. And by the end, it's coming up with better ways to pull the levers uh, with more granularity that make more sense. Um, and of course, knowing that we're working with algorithms, in this case, uh, you know, they, they stick, stick with a relatively simple approach of here's the amount of degrees we're going to turn and here's how often we're going to look at, at how often we should turn and you know, wh which turning rate ends up being the best or which ones end up being better than others and iterating towards choosing strategies for turning that trend towards a more accurate solution. Um, what's funny about this, and as I was reading through this, this was written in, I want to say 2011, something like that, um, is that I think now if, if we took this a step further, that some of the conclusions that this, draw, this um, article draws would be so directly applicable to what happens with machine learning uh, that I think this is probably a very good primer to someone who's who's figuring out how machine learning works or just interested in machine learning. You know, I mean, it, especially any problem that you can break down into an iterative thing that you can describe for a computer can be fed into a machine learning process that the computers can do all the hard work of, of figuring out how good your strategy is for iterating on things, and they can do the better or worse kind of solution. Um, and I think probably the, the thing to ultimately look at in this article is as it gets down, so it, it is worth reading through because it's very, very interesting how they approach the different abstractions and the way they, they um, 
record the granularity of the data and, and approach it. But the, one of the very last abstractions is a two-dimensional plot uh, that's interactive that shows like here are the two different things we decided we can we can control in this example to collect data. One is I think the, the amount the car can turn left or right, so the amount of degrees you tell the car to turn when it goes off the road. Uh, and then the other is how much the road curves, um, because of course the shape of the curve of the road um, over you know a, a finite uh, period will will determine the um, the the type of output you get. So how accurate your data is. So it's a two dimensional plot of only two levers, but as you like sort of mouse over it and see the various results that uh, it gets, uh, it is really interesting to see that in many cases, for example, the the algorithms do not solve this. So by the end of the algorithm, the car is off the road or turned around or broken, you know, it's, it's trajectory completely. Um, but there are also many good solutions and you can kind of see where good becomes better. Uh, and, and by taking a visual approach to this, of course, it becomes apparent what, what better solutions look like than worse ones. Yeah. So, you know, that, um, I was also sort of drawn to this as a, almost like a, a an anticipation of, um, autonomous vehicles and and machine learning, and just because you know they, they weren't trending topics back in 2011, which seems just recently, anyway, um, that there were there were autonomous vehicles in 2011, and there was machine learning then too. It's just TensorFlow wasn't a trending repo on GitHub then. Yeah, right. And um, the the um, you know you think about how you would make a car autonomous. Um, and I don't know if you, if your car has some of those driver assist features, those things, but you know, it's, it's what one of our cars does. And it's really kind of interesting. It, you can, you know, it'll warn you if you're making an unintended lane change. So the concrete example would be take a camera, shine it underneath the car, look for the line. And if you see the line, then you beep the thing. But of yeah. course, sometimes you're swerving to avoid something knowingly. So it's not that you're texting um, and you drifted into the other lane and it's not like you've fallen asleep. You're, you're actually well aware that you've made the, the lane change. So it is not an unintended one. So then you start with like the, well, would you turn the turn signal on? And if that's happening, then we can make an assumption that the that the that it's an intentional lane change. And then how do you know, you know, and so the other thing that, that our car does is that it, you can put the high beams on and if someone's driving towards you, it knows that and it'll dim them. And, but it sometimes picks up the reflection of a street sign and thinks it's a headlight. And, you know, and the same thing it does for tail lights. It looks for red lights because it makes assumptions that you're tailgating somebody with your high beams on. And so right. rather let you tailgate them with low beams. But it's, it's interesting to think about how you would iterate to solve those problems to make the car smart enough, right? So how do you, how do you create an algorithm that describes as much as possible without being Every you 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 could write a case switch uh, for every possible scenario. You would never cover them all. Right. So the beauty and the elegance is developing that one description that covers the vast majority, and then allow for very specific scenarios to fine tune the algorithm. Yeah, and more to that point, if you're solution for the for the various different things is very well tested you know like if you really know that you can detect the car is going off the road to the left or the car is going off the road to the right you can trust that and move on to the next solution 
Uh, and that's why, you know, I'm sure when when someone like Tesla is patching their auto driving algorithm, they don't have to go through and make sure they still know whether the car is on the road um, because that's a, a well-proven solution. They can just add more granularity and from from what they're learning along the way. Um, you know, one of the things that that I think is important about this, it's easy to read this and kind of kind of think that, uh, you know, OK, this is great, but I'm one, I'm not building a game, so I don't need to care if a car is going off the road or two, I'm not working for Tesla, so I don't need to care about autonomous driving. Um, and, and the, the very end of the article kind of gets to this, um, but maybe doesn't connect to it in the most engaging way compared to the rest of the article, because the rest of it is very graphical and fun to play around with and easy to get distracted on. Um, but I, I think the, I don't know the, the, the core hypothesis of this article, or maybe the core lesson of this article is that this, this is a valid approach for nearly every problem solving thing in in many walks of life uh, particularly when you're doing some sort of engineering of building out anything uh, you know starting from from a very small problem and adding bells and whistles uh, as you see fit that solve the problem uh, with more granularity are really helpful so um, one, you know a good example that I was thinking of when I was reading through this is like a scheduling algorithm for a calendar right you know your your first solution doesn't need to predict when there's going to be openings in a calendar and recommend them to all the people in the meeting your first solution needs to be here's a 24 hour day with 24 hour slots in it and you know can we can we block off some of those and say they're gone uh, and if they're blocked off how do i find gaps in that right um, and and that in itself is a very similar starting point from is this car going off the road in one direction or the other uh, and and that's something that can be applied to lots and lots of people's day-to-day -day work. You know, their their job. This is um, this is what separates someone who is uh, kind of a doing the work peon, um, so to say. And I don't mean that in an offensive way. Like the, the, the sort of junior level developer who gets an instruction and implements that from someone who's more like a designer or an architect who understands the abstraction of the problem and can break it down into the little steps for other people to implement on. Yeah, I think that's exactly. I think that's exactly right. I think there's a there's another really interesting concrete connection, and it's got nothing to do with engineering per se. But um, so, uh, just earlier today, I was chatting with one of our colleagues, and we're the the topic of design systems uh, came up, and it's exactly applicable. The um, one of the common responses to the notion of a design system in, uh, in well, let's just say digital design, web design, is designers say like, well, but I don't start a new web project by designing the primary and secondary button states. I start with something else, right? I start with a comp, you know, it's usually I start with a rectangular design with other rectangular designs in it and then start to fill stuff in. And so they dismiss the notion of developing a design system from the get-go just because it doesn't, it's not what you start with, mm -hmm. right? So, and similarly, you don't start with these uh, extreme geometrical algorithms to determine how the car needs to go to define every possible turn. You start with the turn that you're going to start with, which is maybe it's the home page, and you know that there's some elements that you have to include. You get to the point though where it's like okay, so I've you know that so you, you don't start with the button, but the first time you make a button, you have to make a note <laughs> that that's going to be one of the buttons, and then the next time you make a button, you refer to that first one. How's right. it different? How's it the same? And it's the same idea of iteration where you you 
you don't begin that you don't you don't develop the system initially the system has to emerge from it the algorithm has to emerge from the concrete so the mm -hmm. concrete example where you've got this you know car that's just responding to um sort of like is there road no go left there's more road keep going left yeah start with the home page you start with a page that's got a button or two and then the second time you encounter that and then the third time and the, you develop that it's the uh, a little bit like the atomic design theory where you don't start by like, okay, what are my atoms? What are my molecules? What are my organisms? It's like, no, you design in the way that you're picturing the solution. You start with that as a sketch, but then you start yeah. to abstract and generalize what are the things that are the same and what are the things that are different and how are they different? And you develop a, is it a language maybe that is the design system? Um, so in yeah. this case, the language is the mathematics that describe how the car will respond to the road that it's facing. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it's a language then that, you know, I mean, with you and I are the exception because we make up nonsense words endlessly all the time and we actually <laughs> get paid to do it, which is funnier. The, the um, you know, with a real language, you don't have to make up new language, new words to describe things or that it's not the first time every time kind of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's something that there, there's a funny level of um, decision making that needs to happen in there too, when you're first solving a problem, because it's easy to, to come, come from what you just said and say, like, uh, you know, I'm not starting with designing the buttons, I'm starting with designing the homepage or something that's a familiar part of the problem that I have enough of an understanding to do. Um, but I feel like a um, perhaps naive or um, often taken unfortunate step from that is, oh, well, you know, we know we're building a SharePoint application, right? Like, <laughs> you don't, that's that's too much, uh, too many steps back, right? Like understand the problem uh, and design, decide what the big um, pieces of that problem are, and then then worry about the implementation and the details below it. You know, that's that's deciding that I'm off the road going left or right, and we need to do a thing like that, as opposed to saying like, great, we need to design a you know geometric algorithm that iterates over a car, you know, using Unity, for example, or whatever. Uh, you know, you're, you're you're it's easy to mix those two things up, and I feel like it happens often um, in the world of um, enterprise. Everything. Yeah, everything. Sure. Right. Yes, uh, you know, and, and it's it's tricky, right? That's that's a, a very um, a nuanced decision to make, and and even harder one when there's when there's someone holding a lot of cash that says I need something built because often they have a strong opinion about what that part needs to look like, and that can be tremendously limiting, uh, you know, in, in in many different ways. Yeah, but as a designer or a developer, as a someone who's going to be producing a solution, quite often it's not a complete blank slate where whatever the solution, you know, it's like the you know, the, especially if you're doing it professionally, there are constraints that exist either because you work for the company that produces the thing that you have to s solution with, um, or the or your stakeholders have certain requirements that that are that are specific. And in this case, you know, to riff on riff on this example, um, you know, if you're working for a truck company, the solution, uh, a trucking company, I should say, the solution that you need to develop is very specific to getting a tractor trailer around this to negotiate this turn, which is a, a very different set of decisions that you make for moving a car with a shorter wheelbase or just t mere two axles that are not articulated. So the, um, there will always, I think there will always be those constraints. And so I guess there's no 
there's no single place where you can say this is where the abstraction begins. Right. Um, you know, and even in the realm of the aforementioned product, um, you know, that within that there's a, a million ways to destroy that design. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah, some elegant right. solutions as well, right? They, when 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 the when the constraints become the design, then that's where you run into the problem. When the constraints yeah. are no longer even noticeable to anybody, that's where you've succeeded. Right, right. Yeah, that, and and all of that is. Um, I don't know. I think that's probably a good way to round up a, a summary of the article. Right? Is is uh, that this is a a strategy for thinking about problem solving that that is applicable to many many different fields, uh, but also isn't necessarily apparent to newcomers to the game or even the people who've done it before, you know, and, and having the framework for describing how this works is something that's important to help you and the people you're working with think about solving pretty much any problem you throw at it. Yeah, I think so. And I think that the the challenges are very much the same challenges that we run into with any sort of problem solving, no matter what, whether it's technical or, or otherwise, the, you know, it's that forest and trees separation and the ability to, to you know, and in the beginning of the article, he says designers often just float between these levels of abstraction with a certain amount of ease. And I would say not all designers, um, but 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 those who who design, they you know they they understand the process of design, and they've internalized it. And so it's it's very natural to to oscillate between trees and forest, and you 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 know you're never too caught up in one or the other. So when you're thinking about the, you know, back to the button design challenge, like if every time you design a button for your solution, you're starting with a completely blank slate, and then you've got this combination of all sorts of amazing colors and textures and behaviors and micro interactions and label styles and micro copy styles and so forth. Um, like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we've inherited pro projects that seem to feel like that's exactly what every single element was. Um, I think the, 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 the takeaway is exactly that. The, you, you're focusing on a very specific problem, and you need a solution to that specific problem. Within that problem, there are a number of decisions that need to be made. And at every stage, you could either be making that decision based as if none of the other decisions had been made before, or you can take it into some sort of larger systems thought, which is the last time we had to negotiate this turn, these were the variables. What's yeah. different? And how yeah. do we now incorporate that so that when we go back and do that first turn again, we now use the, the richer decision-making. And then there's only one decision-making function that you call when you're facing that turn. It's not like, oh, it's a left turn. So call the function that deals with left turns only. Like, right. Although if you UPS, maybe you do have a separate left turn <laughs> algorithm, right? Because we know that left turns slow them down, and so they plot their routes so that they only take right turns, and it's yeah, yeah. at least that's that. The, that's the yeah, that's what we're we're led to believe, right? Yeah. You know, one thing I'll add to that is I think that what's just as important as what's different when I'm approaching this turn from the last one is like what's what's the same too. You know, and we've all come across the thing that has totally. a million different menus, buttons, whatever it is, steering wheels on, on your car to, to make a turn. Um, the, understanding that you are solving a problem you've solved before in any way 
and looking at the way you've done it in the past or starting from the way you've done it in the past is precisely where this this article is coming from, you know? Yeah. And then adding extra little bits of sugar on top to make it nicer for all situations uh, is is a skill. It, exactly. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah.